0: As we continue through the book of Colossians, Paul is addressing relevant subjects that we all have. Topics. He spent time on marriage and the family. He spent time on parenting. And today he addresses a real issue for all of us. A work. God in the workplace. What does that look like for us? How are we supposed to work? What kind of work ethic are we supposed to have? And why? Like, why should we even have a a good work ethic? Every person is called to work in our world today. Whether it's a plumber, a carpenter, a CEO, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, an artist, a teacher, a dad, a mom, or even a student, all of us have been called to work. We have responsibility. We have a task ahead of us, and we're supposed to fulfill the duties that are laid out in front of us. Some get paid very little. Some get paid a lot. Some don't even get paid at all. And by the way, work is not a bad thing. In Genesis chapter 3 verses 16 to 17, before the fall of man, God looked at Adam and said, I want you to tend to the soil of the garden. I want you to cultivate. I want you to create. I want you to bring forth something from this garden. It's not, work isn't a curse that happened after the fall of man. Work is something that God instituted in before the fall of man. Seriously, Some people think that when we get to heaven that we'll never work again, that we'll sit on this cloud and we'll hear harp music all day long and we'll worship God. The reality is that God is a worker. God is actively working right now. God is holding the world together. God is sustaining life. God is having his phone line continuously being beeped, left with voicemails from you that said, "'God, I need help. Please do something.'" God is constantly, actively working. And so if he would ever decide to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take the afternoon off and hold the world together, we'd all be in trouble. God is a picture of a God who is actively involved in creation, working in our lives. He's a physician that heals, and he is a God who has a plan each day. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is actively working. There's much that can be said about work. Character of a man or woman surfaces when he is asked or she is asked to do something that they really don't want to do. Michelangelo said this in regards to work. He said, if people knew how hard I worked to achieve my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful after all. Lou Holtz said this in regards to work. He said, winners embrace hard work. The love of discipline of it, the trade-off of making a win, losers, on the other hand, see it as a punishment, and that's the difference, Lou Holt said. Another author said this, talent is cheaper than table saw. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. Another baseball man from our past, Babe Ruth, said this. He said, it's hard to beat a person who never gives up. It's hard to be a, per- beat a person that never quits. We have lots of people that start a project but don't finish a project. We have tons of people that sign up for something, show up, but don't finish it. There's so much in scripture, and then Paul addresses to us, we need to take God to the workplace. My hope is this today, that after we walk through this passage, that you walk away, as I did, affirmed, challenged, and motivated to live differently because we have God in us. There should be a noticeable difference in motive, purpose, and an ability in someone who knows Christ in the workplace than someone who doesn't. Grab your Bibles. Let's take a look today and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But we're going to read verses 22 of chapter 3 through chapter 4 and verse 1. When you find that, stand with me and we'll read it together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and then through 4, verse 1. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You may have a seat. Every once in a while in your life, you notice a work ethic and it sticks out to you. You notice someone doing something and you never forget it. We were on the mountains of Western Maryland uh, a few years back and it was, we were winding down the weekend. It was Saturday and we were packing up camp and we're getting ready to head back. And one of the last things we do, we grab guys together and we do a little debriefing talking about the weekend. On this Saturday before we were headed back, I had encouraged the guys, instructed them to go down over the side of the mountain and to grab a rock from the creek that flowed through the mountain. And we were going to take this rock or these rocks from all the men that were there and then build an altar as a remembrance of what God did that weekend there. And so in western Maryland on this mountain property that that my best friend from, from my childhood owns, there are a variety of altars on this mountain. Old Testament is littered, an altar of remembrance. And so as we were gathering the rocks, guys were working their way down the side of the mountain, walking back, and we were, had a few men there, and we were building this altar, this monument, to remember what God had done. It was a really incredible moment. It was, there were a lot of memories that were shared, and some tears, and it was a meaningful time. So guys, we finished up there, and then we're ready to pack up our vehicles and to make the cannonball race back to Indiana. And and so we began to count, make sure everyone was there. And someone said, someone's missing. Where's this other person at? And we soon found out it was Emery, who actually plays on the worship team today. Like, where's Emery at? We got to go. We can't leave anyone behind. Guys are wanting to go home. And so we began looking down the side of the mountain, trying to follow and yelling Emmerich and about 20 to 30 minutes later, down this log, or long logging trail, Emery came walking, and I kid you not, he had a white T-shirt on, sopping wet, sweat just dripping from it, and he is carrying this boulder, boulder that's the size of our monument there. And he's walking up, and he's, every so often he's hunched over, and he has to take a breath because he's out of breath because it's so big. And to be quite frank, there were a few guys that were ticked off about him because it had taken him so long, they wanted to get home. But as he got closer, we saw the sincerity of his heart, and we we're like, Emric, where you been? He said. He lays the rock down. He says, If Jesus can carry a cross, I can carry a rock. And as sincere as can be, I'd never forget that. Because he wanted to give his best even in that moment. It was just a snapshot of Emric's work ethic. And so we carried this boulder over, and we dare not put it on the the monument there because it would have fallen over, and we sat it beside. And it's a reminder. Every time I go there, I see his rock, and I'm reminded that we need to work hard for the Lord in everything, no matter what it is. And here we see in the context of Paul looking at this group of believers, and the condition they find themselves in is horrible. And we understand the situation that they're in, but let me bring you back into the context of this time. During Roman culture, nearly 60% of the people during this time were bond servants or slaves that had masters above them. They were owned by their masters and in some cases considered just to be a piece of property. And in some cases would willingly live as a bond servant. So if they had a debt, they would go knock on the door of a neighbor who owned property and they would say this, I will live with you and I will be your servant. And if you give me and my family a place to stay, they would camp there and live there and they would be a bond servant to this master to pay off a debt. Because they didn't have loans or had the ability to get any other resources. And in many cases, they couldn't find another job. So all over the country during this time in Roman culture, 60% of the people were bond servants and slaves to masters. Some would even assume this position when a crisis hit. Because it provided them a place to live and be fed and to be back on their feet. Even worse case scenario... Roman citizens during this time, if a, if a wife or a mom gave birth to a child that she didn't want because during this time children were often not considered having citizens' rights and they would just use as barter trade to buy land, they would dump off their children at these dumps. And so what would happen then, a master would come, take this child who they now own And they would raise this child up, and this child who became adult was indebted to them for saving their life, and they would become their slave. So now Paul is speaking into this culture. Keep in mind, Christianity was just a blip on the radar screen. People of the way is what they were called. They were barely surfacing. Jesus had just been buried resurrected, ascended to heaven, and the church, as we understand, was being sent out. And now they're running into all these cultural differences in the world. And Paul is speaking into these new believers who are now bond servants, and in some cases, masters over slaves. He's speaking to them and saying, bring heaven down, not culture up. And there was no doubt that there were many Christians during this time. It was an almost unheard of small splinter group of Judaism as we understand. Just barely getting started on the horizon of the world. Most believe, by the way, historians even, commentators believe if Paul would have led other Christian leaders in a revolt of this day, They would have been defeated quickly and it would have been a bloody death for Christians as we know it. So instead of doing that, Paul says, let's change the way we think. Let's win by living differently in the conditions that we're in. Some would even say this. If they would have won this revolt, it may have created a mass social chaos. Where suddenly emancipated slaves may not have been able to find work to support them. So you know what Paul does? He lays down some universal principles. Guess what? That we can use even in the workplace today. Which would undermine the evils of slavery. The evils without a doubt of it. And eventually it led to his demise. Instead of revolting against it, going to war, he said, hey... Let's bring heaven down, culture different than what the culture is now. Let's go counter-cultural, and let's live with these biblical principles. And because these Christians did, it brought an end to masters and bond servants during the Roman time. Roman slave owners had come to view work during this time as low and degrading. So think about this. Paul's speaking into that. You see, if you were a slave and you worked then you were worthless in the eyes of the people. Yet didn't God ordain man to work as a good thing in Genesis 3? And somewhere along the road, it got twisted, and it got countered, the culture of the day twisted it, and now all these Christians who are now slaves under these masters, Roman citizens are looking at them, their slaves are saying... (laughs) You got to work. You got the lowest of lowest of lowest responsibility. And yet Paul is saying, uh-uh. <laughs> you get to work for the Lord. You get to go wake up every day and say, praise God. And these Roman masters are like, what up with those people? This is supposed to be degrading. No. And so Paul throws these principles in place. He elevates work whether manual labor or even in management, and says, work as though you're working for the Lord. And more importantly, in this letter, he says this about whether you're a slave or a free man. Look at chapter 3 and verse 11, just prior to this in this letter. He reminded this group of this in chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or what? Free. But Christ is all and is in what? So you know what he's doing? He's raising dignity. He's leveling the playing field, and he's saying this. Here's what he's saying, and it's the same today. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter if you're the boss, the owner, the CEO, or you're on the assembly line, or you don't have a job. In Christ, everyone is equal at the cross. Amen? That's what he's saying. This was so foreign to this culture. You got to understand this. And they're like, You're telling me that you're okay in the status that we have you in? Yes, we are, because we're not working for you. We're working for the Lord. Let's treat each other with dignity and respect, Paul is saying. And remember that we all are equal. Regardless of your responsibility, your income, your status, your family, your name, or your intellect, he takes more time here explaining about this relationship in the workplace than he does about husbands and wives and parenting. Why do you ever ask that question? Like when I read that, wow! Like he only gives one verse to husbands and wives and. In one verse to children, in one verse to fathers, but when it talks about masters, workplace, slaves, he takes four verses and he explains, "Why? Remember this: He's a human being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and our thinking is often shaped by our experiences that we are walking through during that time. Let me explain. We all form opinions about things, biblical opinions. But when it happens to us, and then we're not saying they're experiencing it, we begin to go back, and it shapes the way we dig into Scripture and come to a conclusion. If you know that someone has cancer, you pray for them. If they're unrelated to you, you feel a burden, and you feel a desire to care for them. But if you wake up one day, and the doctor says you have cancer throughout your body, it shapes the way you think differently. Or... You have a view on divorce and remarriage. And you form it and, and biblically. You've you dug into it. You, you, you believe it. Yet when divorce hits with your son or daughter. Or your own relationship. All of a sudden because you're walking through this journey. That you've never personally walked through. It causes you to go back and revisit scripture. Why? Because you've experienced it. It's the difference between the Greek word oida. And the Greek word gnosko. Head knowledge and experiential knowledge. So you have to ask this question. When Paul is writing this, what's going on in his life? Why is he writing so much about this? Here's why. There was this friend of his. And some of you might know this name. His name is Onesimus. And there's a book in the Bible in the New Testament that Paul wrote a letter To a man by the name of Philemon. He gives one chapter. During the same time that he's writing this letter, there's this man in his life called Onesimus. And you know what Onesimus was? He was a slave that ran away from his master. And on his running away, he was a fugitive on the leave because by law he would be penalized and incarcerated for for running away from his master. On his journey away, guess who he runs into? Paul. And he becomes Paul's friend. You know what happens to him? Paul leads him to Christ. And so now Paul is writing this letter and sitting beside him while while he's thinking about that is this man by the name of Onesimus who now has to go back to his slave owner, And now he's looking at this church at Colossae and he's saying this. Make sure if you're the master that you treat him well. Make sure if you're the bondservant that you work as if you're working to the Lord. So turn to Philemon just quickly. Look at this letter that he wrote. Just a couple books over. In fact, it's where all the pages stick together and you'll bypass it if you go too quickly. There's this one chapter that Paul writes this letter to a man by the name of Philemon who was the master of Onesimus. And look at chapter 1 and verse 9. It says this. Paul says, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, he says, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son who, what's his name? Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you as a slave. But now, he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel." But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem force, but would be voluntarily. And then he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you or he ran away from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self or you owe me big time, paraphrased Jim Brown. Verse 20, I do not wish, brother, That I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. I do wish. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. And by the way, hey, prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answers to your prayers. That's the heart from which Paul is writing. He's saying, hey, Colossians Church, by the way, I know what it's like there's a slave here and I just led him to Christ and he's gotta go back to a slave owner and I just asked the slave owner whose name is Philemon if, if he would do not only the right thing, but he would do the hard thing. And I love how he ends up that letter and he says this, he says, and by the way, I just wanna let you know, get a guest room ready, cause I'm coming and I, I know you'll do more than I ask. <laughs> Paul was very forward with his request. So now he jumps into this context and he gives these four principles. Now listen up, employers, business owners, employees, those who serve under. This message is for all of us. But this is to the employees. Look what he says in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor But with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Four principles. Do it not only when their eye is on you. Don't just do the minimum to get you by when the boss is coming. Someone says, quick, the boss is coming. Pretend you're working. Don't put on a good show when he's there Then when he leaves you slough off. Don't become this grumbling person when the boss is out. Keep and honor the laws of the land and work hard as if you're working for the Lord. Make your owner rich. Because ultimately, you're working for the Lord and not for the master. And keep in mind, they don't have to give you a job. See, sometimes we lose sight of that. We go into these workplaces, and if you get it, depends who you hang with, and if you're not careful, you start grumbling, you start complaining how horrible it is. And, how it could be much better, and and the reality is we often forget they gave you the job in the first place. Be grateful for that. They didn't have to give you a job. Sometimes it's just an attitude check. God, while I'm here, I'm grateful that you gave the job opportunity for me, and this owner gave me a job. And so what's it mean, not when his eye is on you, that means outwork everyone. Don't let anyone in that workplace ever outwork you. We are working for the Lord. And we, there should be a noticeable difference in the way we work. Don't abuse your sick days. Say, you know what? Feeling kind of under the weather today. But you go out and do something else. That's not integrity. Just because you have sick days doesn't mean you have to use them. Don't abuse your personal days. No griping and no complaining. Have a Christian work ethic and have a positive attitude and a cheerful spirit in the workplace. Be the first to say yes to something that you might not necessarily like doing. Why? Because you're not working for Him. You're working for Him. And when you're working for Him, you work as though you're working unto the Lord. So I'll work everyone. Let me ask a question a personal question. If an anonymous, survey was passed in your workplace and it had your name at the top and every employee including your boss your supervisors and everyone there could write and evaluate your work ethic and they could evaluate this way from a number of one to ten rate how hard this person works bam 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 one through ten next As you look at all the employees your co-workers who works the hardest in the workplace would your name be at the top would your name be at the bottom another survey who complains the most about their boss would your name be at the top or would your name be at the bottom you see we are called to live differently and work differently Paul is looking at this group in church called the Colossae church, and he's saying, listen, you are working for God. Change this system of bond servant by living a life that's different than the culture so that the bosses say, what up with you? There's something about you that's different in the workplace. And then he says this. Not to curry their favor. Every time I think about it, I think of Southeast Asia. Everywhere you go, it smells like curry. But here's what curry means. It means to seek to advance oneself through flattery. You know what the Jim Brown paraphrase would be? You like to kiss up to your boss. Listen, just work hard. Your boss will notice someone who works hard. They will see you in a heartbeat. Outwork everyone in the workplace. Be the first to jump in. Be the last to go. Dig in. Give everything you have. Remember, you're not doing it to seek their favor, but God's approval. Then he says this. Do it with sincerity of heart. What does that mean? Have you ever asked the question when I said, boy... They're really sincere people. Boy, he's sincere or she's sincere. So do your job with sincerity of heart. Sincerity during this time means without wax. And you say, without wax? What's that mean? During this time, they would make pottery. And so Paul knew that. So he said, do it in a sincere way. And pottery was, could, got pretty expensive. And it was a, a, a difficult process to, to have play out. And it was expensive if pottery cracked. And so when there would be a crack in a piece of pottery, the Roman citizens of the day would take wax and they would buff it into the sides of these pieces of pottery. And they would buff it and buff it and buff it and it would fill in the crack. And then they would come along and then paint over top of it and they would sell this product. And the reality is it wasn't done with integrity because if you would have peeled back the paint, there was a crack in The pottery. And Paul says, no, no, no. Do it with sincerity of heart. Do it with integrity. Give them your best. Make sure that you're doing a job that you aren't cutting corners or giving them less than what is your best. See your job as a mission field where others can see Jesus in you. You know, one of the people of the many people I love to watch who works with a sincere heart and has an incredible work ethic is Ashley. I don't know if you've ever seen her around here. I love Ashley with all of my heart. And if you don't know who Ashley is, she's one of our precious gals that comes to grace. And she's part of the dream ministries. And so she struggles some. She sweeps our parking lot. She picks up trash around here one of the things that Ann and I do and our family have done for many years after the third service we go out to lunch together and so we're often we come back pick up one of the cars that's here and you know who we see out in the parking lot Ashley know what she's doing she's taking a broom and she's walking through the entire gigantic parking lot and she takes and pushes the dirt in there and the paper and she walks it over to the dumpster and so we drive in and we blow the horn and we wave (laughs) And Ashley smiles and waves back. She goes right back at it. Thursday, I saw her out in our our lawn, and I was looking out my window. She was outside raking the grass because there was paper in the grass. And she has this incredible, and I I banged on the window. I said, Ashley, she went, I will guarantee you this. When you and I get to heaven one day, you know who's going to be in charge of everybody? Ashley. I'm serious, she is. So it's Paul, hear me out. Paul's looking at this group. He's saying, you might have the lowest of lowest job and people might look at you and say, man, you're sweeping the grass. You're carrying trash to the dumpster. You are the lowest of lowest. In fact, the Romans would look at you and laugh at you. Paul's saying, don't let them laugh because remember, you're working for me. And one day I will reward that. That's the picture that Paul is throwing into this culture. Then he says this. Do it in reverence for the Lord. Deep respect. A ting of awe for our Lord. Let me pull away and just make it very local. Elkhart County has a group of people that know how to work. I'm serious about that. Like, if you stand in my front yard at 4 a.m. on County Road 146, you will hear cars go by 130 mile an hour every morning <laughs> heading to Napanee to work. Why? Because they know how to work. It's not that we don't know how to work. Like, I would throw Elkhart County against any county in America when it comes to labor, knowledge, ability, production, Because we know how to make things and build things. And praise God for that. This county is loaded with workers. But Paul is saying, work as if you're working for the Lord. Don't work because you just have to. Work because you can do. And work in such a way that the world around you notices that you're different in reverence as a holy work offered to the Lord give thanks for your job pray regularly for your boss and company, can I just ask that question when is the last time you prayed for your supervisor, you prayed for your boss, you prayed for your owner you prayed for your coworker, or even better, you sent them a text, a note or an email or stopped by their office and said you know I haven't told you this in a while but thank you for giving me a job Thank you for the way that you work hard because, listen, I realize, maybe I haven't realized before, that this company just didn't start on its own. There was probably a time that you worked your tail off for it to get to the place that it's at. And I just want to say thank you because you did that, I get to feed my family. I'm telling you, listen to me, that's what Christians should do. We should be different in the marketplace Then Paul says this, he says this in verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If your boss or supervisor, hear me out, isn't doing the greatest job and you become frustrated with them, that shouldn't change the way you work. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you're frustrated with your supervisor and they're not doing it like you think they should do it, it shouldn't change the way you work. Why? Because we're working for who? The Lord. And work with everything you got. I was playing basketball in an adult league a few years back and um, I was guarding this guy from baseline to baseline. When we played basketball in high school, we played full court press. And I found out that if you guard a guy long enough, he's going to turn the ball over. And he's going to hate you to end the game. But anyhow, Church Lake, playing this game, and I was guarding this guy. He brought it in. So I just start guarding him and denying the pass and push, pushing him to his weak side. And, and we were playing about the, it was like 10 minutes left in the third quarter. We're driving down, and I was hawking him and guarding him. And he looked at me, and he just said, What is your problem? I kid you not, so I said, what is your problem? I said, what? He says, why do you keep guarding me from baseline to baseline? I said, because that's what Jesus would do. (laughs) And whatever you do, work at it as if you're working. My wife is laughing because she knows that's true. As you're working for the Lord. There should be a noticeable difference. Some of us just give me the ball, let me shoot the rock. We don't want to play D. But when you have Jesus as your Savior, there should be a noticeable difference in the way you work. You see, Paul says, if you're frustrated with your boss or the CEO and you don't like the way the company's being run, a look up higher. You aren't working for him. You're working for Jesus. You see, ultimately, when you complain and gripe and cop an attitude and become lazy on the job front or take advantage of your situation or develop an attitude of entitlement, hear me out. You're doing that to Jesus. You're doing that to Jesus. When you circle coworkers and you complain and gripe about a new change on the assembly line, or how the hours have been changed, or you don't like what the boss said, and you rally a group of people, and you complain, and you whine, and you gripe, you're doing that to Jesus. And Paul said to this church, and he says to us, you're not working for them, you're working for the Lord. Work as if you're working for the Lord. With all of your heart. What's that mean? Enthusiastically so what does that mean? How does that, how would that play out today? It means you wake up each morning or evening, whatever your shift is, the afternoon, and you get ready to go to your place of employment. And as you walk in the doors, you say, I get to work here again today, praise God. You want to get some looks? Aren't you excited? We get to work here today, yeah. With all your heart, enthusiastically. (laughs) No one works harder than you, Paul is saying. Remember, if an evaluation sheet was handed out, would you be the one that works the hardest? Then he says this, I mean, he doesn't stop there. He's like, come on, Paul, you're killing me, man. Verse 24, he says, since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward, It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs. And there is no favoritism. He says to this society, in a society where the slave had no legal rights, this was a foreign concept to them. In other words, he says, listen, even though the society says work is degrading and low and you're at the bottom of the wrong, remember this. You will be rewarded one day in heaven for the way you work on earth. How you know, Pastor Jim? That's what Second Corinthians five ten says. There's this place called Bimatas, Greek word, Bima seat, judgment seat of Christ. It's where you and I as believers, once we've passed on, we stand before God as believers. Perfect in every way, just like John, 1 John 3 2 says, we stand before God and there's this place that you and I go individually. You don't go with me. No one goes with me. I stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. We are judged for good deeds. We are judged for good works. And so all those opportunities that we had in the workplace, all those opportunities we had in our neighborhood, everything that we've ever done, this scroll of life will play. And as God evaluates us in our work ethic in the workplace, we are rewarded. You're like, well, why would I want to get a a reward? Because there's seven of them in the Bible. And here's what happens. Once we receive these crowns, the word of God says we get to lay them back at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I did this for you. Like, isn't that worth it? Living and working in a way that honors God. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There would be many of us that would have said, I want to give Jesus something. And based upon the way we work and our work ethic and our attitude in the workplace is an opportunity for us to receive a crown that we lay at the ultimate master's feet, Jesus Christ. So Paul says, listen, Your inheritance is coming. It's coming in heaven one day. Our culture, however, struggles with this thought. American culture says, have your best life now and heaven will be a bonus. But it's not central. God always rewards obedience and the way we live here impacts power, privileges, and authority in heaven. And here's the reason We don't emphasize this. It's because we aren't being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. If we were, then heaven would not just be nice, it would be necessary in order to make sense of this life. You see, they're being persecuted. It doesn't make sense to them. And Paul's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's give a little attitude check here. You're not working for them, you're working for the Lord. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, including your boss. And one day, your inheritance will come in eternity with Jesus forever in heaven. Amen. That's the picture. So then Paul says this, okay, employers, this is for you. Masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And I would say this, employers, make Jesus the Lord of your company. This was foreign to slave owners, by the way. But Paul is talking to the born-again new believers of the day, of which some were masters of bond servants. I mean, Scripture is loaded with principles. Luke 10, 17, he says this. He says, provide what is right and fair. Luke 10, 17 says, fair wages. Listen, don't give your employees a reason to leave because of money. Reward them for a job well done. I encourage you to offer profit sharing. Personally encourage them. Leave your office and spend time in the shop throughout the week. You will earn the respect of your people if you roll back up your sleeves and grab a broom and mop and sweep the floor from time to time. It's a reminder to them that you are willing to do what they don't want to do. Like, where did the term come from that at some point we just work ourselves out of a job or finally get to the point where we don't have to work as hard? Where do you see that in Scripture that we stop working hard? By the way, do you think God ever stops working hard? Never! American culture says, work yourself out, finally get to a place where you don't have to work hard. Where do you see that in scripture? We don't see it demonstrated from our God. I'm grateful that he didn't take the afternoon off this afternoon. How else can you do that? Pray with him. You might say, Pastor Jim, it's a secular business. Listen, voluntary prayer meeting. You can schedule it. One day during the week. You allot the time. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. We're gonna have a voluntary prayer meeting. We're gonna take your needs and we're gonna pray, and everyone else has off during that time. You don't have to come. I suspect there would be people in your workplace that are hurting, and they would be glad that you prayed for them. It's very rare that someone ever turns down prayer. Take care of their families. Find insurance for their family. Model Jesus in front of them. Don't berate them. Don't curse at them. Don't beat them up with your words from time to time. Send a personal email from yourself to an individual employee and just say, Thank you. I'm grateful to have you as an employee. Walk up to their desk, to their shop, to their machine. Turn off of their machine and just shake their hand and say, You know what? Thank you. For doing a good job. I can't tell you how far that goes with people. Some of the basic simple things have been forgotten in our world. Be kind to them. Expect the best from them. Raise the bar high, but love them. Why? Why should you do those things? Because you have a God in heaven that you are accountable to. That's what Paul said. Look what he says. Look what he says. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Here's some basic principles as business owners, employers, supervisors. You are a steward of what God has entrusted you with. The Lord gives, and the Lord will take away. If you are faithful in little, he will let you be faithful in much. To the one that has been given much, much is required. Listen, basic principles. And if you're not faithful with much, hear me out. God can take it away. Imagine if you can, this community, which I think has incredible workers. And you heard me say, I would put Elkhart County up against any county in America. I mean, you guys get up at 3 a.m. to go to work. You work overtime and all kinds of hours. But imagine a workforce that never copped an attitude. Imagine a workforce that that worked as though they were working for the Lord. Imagine, if you can, as it was during Paul's time, slaves going to work and praising God because they knew that they weren't working for him or for her, but they were working for him. Oh, God, help us today. I pray, God, that we would take this attitude that Paul is talking about. And I pray that the world would see something different in us. Because the world is yearning and longing to fill the void and emptiness in their hearts. And, God, we have the opportunity by the way we live and the way we work to be a testimony for you and to win the world the church in the workplace can win the world to Jesus. And God, you demonstrated it to us through your son Jesus. And you daily demonstrated it to us by the way you are working hard now. So, God, spur us on, challenge us, remind us, and may we turn this culture upside down by the way we work in the workplace. In Jesus' name. Amen.